all we're asking for is what people deserve, which is to um, be treated as human, to be treated with respect. Coming up on Carolina Connection, students at a 32-hour demonstration demand better campus accessibility. Good morning, I'm Will Christensen. And I'm Sophie Mallinson. Also this morning, bus tracking slowly returns to Chapel Hill after more than a year. The term Latinx faces scrutiny by the communities it's used to describe. A hackathon promotes gender diversity in STEM fields, and the UNC Duke game has some seniors feeling fury rather than Carolina fever because it's now even harder to get tickets. I didn't get a ticket to the UNC Duke game, which is very frustrating because I actually have never gotten a ticket in all four years of going here. From the UNC Husband School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection. Thanks for joining us. By the end of the month, catching the bus may be less of a guessing game. Chapel Hill Transit has begun installing the necessary technology to bring back its bus tracking app, a tool that UNC and Chapel Hill commuters have lacked for more than a year. Frequent bus rider Henry Taylor has the story. A bus from Chapel Hill Transit slows to a halt at the stop outside of UNC's ROTC Naval Armory, where commuters await their ride. However, unlike riders of many other transit systems, they do not know exactly when their bus is due to arrive. This has not always been the case. Second-year PhD student Alan Wood remembers how easy bus tracking used to be. During undergrad, I went here for undergrad, so I remember when we actually had digitized bus schedules and we could see when they were on the road and stuff like that. So I kind of miss that, and I'm looking forward to it possibly coming back. The technology referenced by Wood is dependent on real-time bus tracking, which allows riders to see the location of buses on an app rather than relying on schedules or estimates. For the past year, Chapel Hill has lacked this system, causing difficulties for riders, such as junior Michaela Sinclair. It's, it's off, like it's kind of bad. Um, I was stranded at work for a little bit last week because the bus wasn't coming on time and uh, I missed the one that said it said was coming and then I had to just like walk back to campus. So it's been off for a while. When wireless companies phased out 3G networks in favor of 5G, many real-time tracking systems across the country became outdated. While other transit systems adapted quickly, Chapel Hill has yet to see this technology be fully re-implemented. Transit Director Brian Litchfield says that this delay can be attributed to the company Nextbus, which provided the previous hardware and accompanying app. About the same time when we uh, were informed that the 3G was going down, we started talking with Nextbus about getting replacement units and all that stuff. Uh, and one thing after another, um, where it was like, well, we can get them to you. It'll be three months, then it'll be six months. And then it was like, well, uh, we can't, uh, we have to redo all of the units and get them to you. So uh, that part of it's been incredibly challenging. Nextbus attributed these delays to COVID-related supply chain issues and did not provide more detail to Litchfield. They also did not respond to Carolina Connection's request for comment. Now, the company has finally shipped most of the required modems, allowing CHT to begin installation. 
which is why folks are starting to see uh, the buses at least appear on Transloc and Nextbus. Uh, they're not predicting yet, but they're actually uh, they're coming on and uh, showing up there. And although people can see the locations of some buses on the Nextbus app and alternative tracking app Transloc, Litchfield says that riders should wait for more buses to be upgraded before relying on the new system. We don't want to be in a situation where someone looks at uh, Transloc or Nextbus and sees it predicting uh, on, let's say, the A route uh, today, and then uh, tomorrow we put buses out there on that route that don't have the new uh, information on there, then they're going, what the heck happened, right? As of Friday, March 3rd, 88 buses used by CHT have received these upgrades, with four remaining. Litchfield says he's grateful for the patience commuters have shown as they wrap up installation. Hopefully in the next couple weeks, uh, even well before the end of March, we'll be able to get that up and going. Riders are not the only ones eager to see the system return. The delay has proven difficult for bus drivers as well, such as Stephanie Lunsford, who has driven for Chapel Hill Transit for 15 years. When it first went out, they were asking several questions about um, when it's coming back and not because they really used it and liked it and stuff. So. In Chapel Hill, I'm Henry Taylor. Last week, campus-wide co-presidents Megan Murphy and Laura Cerveja Ferrero planted themselves in the front steps of South Building for 32 hours. They were protesting UNC's lack of accessibility for disabled students. Last year, Cerveja Ferrero and another student, Eleanor Bolton, were stuck in their dorm for 32 hours when the elevator broke. Joining us now is Megan Murphy. Megan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me um, a little bit about the... Uh, demonstration you guys did uh, last weekend um, on the steps of South Building and what, what, what the goal of that was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that day was roughly a year since Lauda and Eleanor were trapped in Cory Dormitory for um, 32 hours. It also was a very important day because um, the student advisory to the chancellor was meeting to talk about accessibility and after two years of trying to meet with the chancellor, um, Laura and I were able to schedule a meeting with him in which we were going to discuss accessibility. So we decided that having um, had a whole year pass where we have been extremely vocal about these issues where um, after months of trying to get a meeting, um, we were going to get in the way. Um, and, you know, if my friends can't get through doors, neither can you. So um, we blocked the front entrance to South Building for 32 hours, um, essentially trapping ourselves up there for the 32 hours that um, my friends were trapped. And so it was all about, you know, drawing attention to the problem, getting in the way of administrators, um, and really, you know, making them a little bit uncomfortable to um, help them understand the extent of this issue and also that they have to take us seriously now. We used a lock box, um, which is essentially a PVC pipe. Um, it's a direct action tactic. It has a bolt going through it and sort of these chain bracelets that we wear. So Laura and I had the ability to unlock ourselves from the bolt, but um, no one from the outside could. What's the uh, end goal here? Like in an ideal world, what would what would the administration's response to this be? Um, the end goal is, you know, human rights, uh, ADA compliance. They know how much money it would cost for them to be ADA compliant, and they have chosen to pay the fines instead of be ADA compliant. They claim that they've been working on this for a very long time. We would love to see the evidence, you know, but at the end of the day, 
uh, it needs to be that not one more student is trapped, that there is a safe evacuation plan for them in the case of emergencies because um, people in wheelchairs have been told to wait in the stairwell in case of a fire for someone to come get them when there is equipment such as stair chairs that can be used to evacuate them. Um, you know, and that's just one small example of all of the ways that this campus has been designed to dehumanize and exclude disabled people. Um, so ultimately, all we're asking for is what people deserve, which is to um, be treated as human, to be treated with respect, to be treated as welcome on this campus, and to be given their fundamental human rights. Got it. Megan, thanks so much for talking with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. That was Campus Y co-president Megan Murphy. A university spokesperson said that UNC is working to upgrade elevators and make other accessibility improvements, but added that it has been a challenge due to funding and supply chain issues. Latinx is meant to be a gender-inclusive alternative to the word Latino. It refers to people of Latin American cultural or ethnic identity. But some U.S. Latin American people are pushing back against the removal of the O and the addition of the X. Sofia Basuto has the story. The term Latinx is used a lot at UNC, including in the name of the Carolina Latinx Center. The center is the home of the Hispanic and Latino community on campus, creating a space with the mission of diversity. A lot of thought went into the name of the center, says the assistant director, Marcela Torres Cervantes. I have a hard time telling someone not to use a label that they feel like best fits them. I know that representing a center, though, and representing a place that's supposed to be of inviting in as opposed to leaving people out, I like that we have a more inclusive term as a label to our center. Despite the inclusive intent behind using the term Latinx, Torres Cervantes says that the center consistently receives backlash from people who don't support the term Latinx. Any email correspondence we send out as a center ever has at least one or two email respondents saying, I hate that y'all are the Latinx Center. Latinx isn't a real word. You should change the name. The term Latinx is one that does get a lot of backlash from the Hispanic community. A Pew Research Center study found that only one in three U.S. Hispanics say that Latinx should be used to describe the United States Hispanic or Latino population. The Daily Tar Heel is reconsidering its use of the term Latinx for this reason. A survey found 80% of the Daily Tar Heel readers prefer not using Latinx. Editor-in-Chief Guillermo Molero says readers against the term opposed it for not fitting in with the Spanish language. That's something that um, I had heard a lot prior to this, something that I've we've been hearing now is that the X and the Spanish language, it just, it just doesn't work very well. <laughs> Latinx was first used on Google more than a decade ago as a gender-neutral alternative for Latino, the neutral and masculine term used to identify someone from Latin America. Guillermo, the Daily Tar Heels editor-in-chief, felt awkwardness. For the longest time when I was starting to figure out about Latinx, part of it was just me trying to think of it in Spanish and trying to think of how I pronounce it. And it took me a while, and I think it's taken everybody a while. Following the feedback, the Daily Tar Heel plans to lean away from using the term, and rather be more specific with whatever term their subject chooses to use. However, Ariana Vigil, a professor at UNC whose research focuses on U.S. Latinx literature and culture, says that the majority does not get to set the terms on this one. People who do feel represented by the term Latinx, particularly if they're, you know, like trans or non-binary folks, I think they deserve to have a voice. And even if their voice is smaller, that doesn't mean we don't listen to it. That to me does not seem like a legitimate argument. She says that language and culture are constantly changing and evolving. Language changes. Language will never be, you know, big enough, strong enough, diverse enough to, to really adequately 
you know, contain us and represent us. And that's okay. So that's why language changes. In Chapel Hill, La Nueva Guadalupana is a Mexican store on Rosemary Street. Inside, you can find an array of Hispanic goods, as well as a butcher shop. Many members of the Hispanic community come in and out, buying meat, chips, and paletas. Jose Fernandez is a store employee from Mexico that had never heard of the term before. No, la verdad no. Y más porque no está en el diccionario. He says that this is the first time he's heard of it, especially since it's not in the dictionary. Fernandez is right. Latinx is not in any Spanish dictionary. It hasn't been approved by the Real Academia Española, Spain's official institution for the Spanish language. It is, however, in the English dictionary. Merriam-Webster, or Oxford, added the term as early as 2018. Reflecting this trend, the Pew Research Center says that U.S.-born Hispanics are more likely to use the term than foreign-born Hispanics. This difference is also seen with those who are primarily English speakers or bilingual, in contrast to those who speak a majority Spanish. Good morning. Back at the Carolina Latinx Center, a Latino master's student, Juan Castro, says that using Latinx is comfortable. Me being a primarily English speaker, Latinx makes more sense to me. Because if I'm going to be speaking to individuals in my immediate environment and immediate community, then Latinx is what they'll best understand, and that's how I can accurately represent my community in that context. In response to the negative feedback the Carolina Latinx Center receives on its name, they always invite their critics to visit the center for a conversation. They have yet to have anyone take them up on that offer. In Chapel Hill, I'm Sofia Basurto. Last month, UNC once again hosted Pearl Hacks, an annual hackathon to promote gender diversity in the male-dominated STEM fields, or science, technology, engineering, and math. Denise Stroud reports. On a bright Saturday in February, scores of students made their way through the registration hall in UNC's Graham Student Union for this year's Pearl Hacks Hackathon event for women and gender non-conforming students. Navia Gatamukala is in her first year at Chapel Hill and discovered Pearl Hacks through her roommate. I really, really enjoyed Pearl Hacks. I think it was a really good experience for me. She was nervous about being a newbie. That was my first ever hackathon. The environment was really like friendly and welcoming. And again, I'm not even like CS, CSE programmy, anything, anything like that. So I was a little bit worried, maybe be like very technical or I'd feel like overwhelmed, but it was such a welcoming environment and it was so fun and I loved it. But she really loved the free merchandise attendees got to keep. The branding and the graphic design was on point. Oh my goodness. That branding was the work of experience and executive chair, Cecilia Lee. She's a senior, double majoring in both computer science and information science. Pearl Hacks is almost completely student organized. She says the purpose behind Pearl Hacks is to create a place of safety and welcome. We like to describe Pearl Hacks as like a test drive for being in computer science, especially because a lot of the classrooms and environments can be very male dominated. So also speaking from you know personal experience, it can be intimidating to dip your toes into the tech world when, when you walk into a classroom no one really looks like you. The event was organized into three days of activities, Friday through Sunday. A sponsor fair was held to connect students with potential internships at companies like Boston Consulting Group and CoStar. Technical workshops were offered to improve skills and tools like Figma. And on Sunday, the teams presented their projects and the prizes were given. Thank you so much, Dr. Austin. My name is 
Director of Beginner Experience, Shefali Pai, is a sophomore in computer science. She had also started out as a Pearl Hacks attendee. She said they work to help folks from underrepresented groups feel like they belong. I still think that imposter syndrome is definitely a big issue and as someone who has experienced that in previous events, I think that it's really important to try to combat that because I know that in an intimidating environment, it can be hard to learn new things and to you know put yourself out there and dip your toes in the water. Tessa Joseph Nicholas is a teaching professor in the computer science department. She's been involved with Pearl Hacks in the past and is a huge fan of the effort. She says that Pearl Hacks has raised awareness about and support for women in technology and specifically computer science at UNC. They get the message out about diversity and inclusion and equality all year round so that when it comes time for Pearl Hacks, you have not only women and gender nonconforming coders, but you have, you know, straight white males of, at all age levels and all expertise levels volunteering. Gatamukala said she appreciated the sense of community from other women in tech on campus. Like going to the workshops, staying in the environment, realizing that like there's a little, a whole little like women in tech community here. I absolutely love that. Gatamukala echoes the recurring theme expressed by both Pearl Hacks organizers and supporters. Creating a safe and welcoming community is the best way to encourage women and the non-binary to move forward towards careers in technology. In Chapel Hill, I'm Denise Stroud. You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Sophie Mallinson. And I'm Will Christensen. This evening, UNC will face off against Duke in the basketball regular season finale. While students are anticipating the return of their favorite rivalry, some seniors say they were left in the dust by a new ticketing policy. Kyle Turek reports. I didn't get a ticket to the UNC Duke game, which is very frustrating because I actually have never gotten a ticket in all four years of going here. UNC senior Rebecca Glover is a major UNC basketball fan, but she has never had the opportunity to see the team play in person. I didn't get it last time when it was at Cameron or this time which is very frustrating because I would very much like to go. I think it's a quintessential experience, and I think that the rule before, where it kind of guaranteed you could at least go once, pretty much, was a really great way to do it without like disadvantaging others because like kind of their time would come. In previous years, students who had not won Duke lottery tickets already had a much stronger chance of getting tickets in their senior year. UNC Athletics changed the ticketing policy for this game, leaving only 25% available for seniors. 50% of the tickets went to students who attended the most games this season, and the remaining 25% was open to the entire student body. Senior Sindura Kondaviti said the amount of games you attend should not be a deciding factor. I feel like a lot of people want to go to this game whether or not they are invested in basketball because the rivalry is so strong. UNC Athletics Director of Ticketing Clint Gwaltney said their goal in changing the rules was to generate school spirit for more games than just the Duke game. The Athletics Department hopes to see this change increase attendance for future games since students are now aware of the policy. The whole impetus behind this is to get as many students into every game that we can and we were hoping that 
by uh, incentivizing students to come to games that they could earn a Duke ticket and it worked and we've, we've got a bunch of people who came to multiple games and we're really excited about that now and going forward. Gwaltney said going forward, the only way to guarantee Duke tickets will be to go to other basketball games throughout the season. Unfortunately, there are probably some seniors who didn't get Duke tickets who are, are disappointed. We do still have a standby line for the Duke game, um, but also too, every student had an opportunity to secure their Duke ticket by coming to as many basketball games as they could. All you had to do was come to four basketball games and you guaranteed yourself a Duke ticket. Glover said the increased availability of tickets has also expanded the existing problem of reselling tickets for high prices. But I also wish that it was harder for students to resell their tickets because I think we have a lot of people who enter and now seniors don't have so much priority, so a lot of people get it and then people can resell, and I just think that's a little whack. Students who didn't receive tickets can wait in the standby line an hour and a half prior to the start of the game at the Smith Center. In Chapel Hill, I'm Kyle Turek. The UNC Marching Tar Heels won't need tickets for tonight's game, as they'll be providing the music for it. Band members dedicate hours a week to practicing, especially during the fall football season. But unlike at other universities, UNC marching band members do not receive compensation for their work. Annie LeBaron has more. The Marching Tar Heels play Carolina Victory to celebrate a win at the women's gymnastics meet last Saturday. However, for junior trumpet player Trey Burgess, this performance feels different. Burgess says that lately his motivation to be a Marching Tar Heel is lacking. My first day of band at UNC, I was super stoked about just getting the opportunity to even be in band. I was perfectly happy volunteering. But now as I've gotten older and as I've taken on more responsibilities, more schoolwork, it's really hard for me to spend a lot more time of my day doing band than these other priorities. According to Burgess, band would be more enjoyable if he were compensated. In fact, many ACC universities, such as the University of Miami, provide compensation and scholarship money to the marching band. According to Miami's band website, full-time members are rewarded up to $1,500 per season. However, UNC's director of university bands, Jeffrey Fuchs, says UNC does not provide marching band scholarships. If the person's only doing it for the money, I don't want them, to be quite honest. That's a problem I see with our society right now. Everybody wants something in return. According to Fuchs, universities compensate marching band members to make their bands bigger for game days. However, these bands most often require auditions and more of a time commitment. The UNC Marching Tar Heels are held to high expectations, but there are no auditions and prior experience is not required. If I'm going to pay somebody to be in, then I'm going to dock them when they mess up. I'm not going to give them their money to miss drill sets and to play wrong notes and to show up 10 minutes late. If you want to go there and just do it for, make it a quid quo pro, money for time, then they've got to be willing to be deducted for mistakes. I provided Fuchs with a chart displaying the kinds of scholarships all ACC universities offer their marching band members. Was, there was one, I was, Louisville was a little surprising to me. Louisville had a lot. Yeah, Miami makes sense. <laughs> Mi well, Miami's a really small school, you know? It's, well, I think it's less than 6,000. But yet they're in the ACC and they're expected to put up a band that's comparable to Clemson and Florida State and all that. It's a largely commuter campus, so you got to have kids stay on campus. Senior Symbols player for the UNC Marching Tar Heels, Taylor Hughes, adores band. When she's not at practice, she is bartending at a steakhouse so that she can pay for her rent and food. 
Contrary to Burgess, Hughes is okay that she is not paid to be part of the marching band. We'd have a little bit of a different culture in general. Ball Fuchs has generally high expectations of us. It's not a super intense program. You know, we have people that come in that have never played instruments before, never done marching band before, but they're able to join and have that opportunity and experience and get a lot out of it. Despite his love for band, Burgess says that band has become less of an extracurricular and more of a responsibility. If he were paid, he would be willing to put in more effort into practices and performances. I don't like being in a band just to be in a band that's mediocre and not chasing being better and not chasing uh, improvement. And I want to be I want to be a good band. I don't want to just be in the band. I want to be in a good band and I want to have a reason to go to band. According to Fuchs, UNC marching band members will continue to simply receive one credit hour for their participation. All scholarship opportunities will come from exterior sources. The UNC Band's Alumni Association, for example, recently announced the $5,000 Jeffrey Fuchs Ambassador Scholarship offered to two worthy students. In Chapel Hill, I'm Annie LeBaron. The men's basketball team comes into the Duke game on a three-game winning streak. But is the recent momentum enough to pull off a win tonight? Here to talk about the game in the NCAA tournament is the Daily Tar Heels sports editor, Hunter Nelson. Hunter, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Will. So, Hunter, this team has been, I mean, dare I say so far this season, pretty disappointing. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were really excited with four starters from last year coming back. This was a national championship team last year, um, and we still have four out of five of those players. What do you think happened so far this season to make that uh, return not incredible as we would have, would have expected? Yeah, I think just sort of dating back to the beginning of the season, it seems like the team was sort of playing almost lackadaisically in a way. I think it was just sort of this mindset of, oh, we got to the national championship game last year. We can just sort of simulate the regular season, get back there once again, and only time will tell if that'll be the case. But I guess with one regular season game remaining, of course, against Duke here on Saturday, uh, the clock is ticking, you know, so I think they're 19 and 12 right now. They have limited time to really, I guess, build a resume to get off that NCAA tournament bubble that they're sitting on. But I think the one main key that has sort of plagued the team thus far, it all comes down to three-point shooting and sort of diversifying its offensive attack. Um, I know last year, obviously, Brady Manick was sort of the hero for many Tar Heel fans as he was able to stretch the floor and allow Armando Baycott to work inside, Caleb Love, RJ Davis to get open looks in the paint. But that just hasn't really been the case to this point. I believe UNC ranks somewhere in the 300s in terms of three-point percentage. And, you know, although Baycott is the best player on the low block, he's getting double-teamed a lot more and, you know, hasn't been as efficient as he was last year. So I think it really stems down to that and, I guess, just mindset. I know the team has now won three games in a row and is trying to, you know, put the finishing touches on, you know, I guess trying to revert back to what has been sort of a lost season. But... I think they have a little bit of time to do that here against Duke and also in the ACC tournament next week. Yeah, so aside from three-point shooting, obviously, what what does the team need to do to pull out this win against Duke tonight? Yeah, I think in the last matchup against Duke, they only shot three free throws, which is sort of odd because UNC is the highest shooting free throw attempted team in the ACC. And that was a low number for them uh, early in February. So attacking Derek Lively, although he is you know a fantastic defender for Duke, he had eight blocks last game. Uh, getting him in foul trouble, working inside, and also kicking out, as I mentioned earlier. We'll open up the offensive scoring because the defense has been, I guess, solid for North Carolina thus far. They haven't really been great, but just sort of staying in that middle ground should be enough to get by a Duke team that has been sort of pulling off some wins recently. I believe they won five in a row. Yeah, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, who do you have tonight? Who do you think is going to win? 
I think with UNC being at home, they have played a lot better here in Chapel Hill. I give them a slight edge just because they really do need this win. Duke is pretty comfortably in the NCAA tournament field by now. So I would say UNC wins 72-66. Should be a close scoring or a close game, but I think UNC gets enough buckets late to pull it off. Gotcha. And, you know, we've been talking about the NCAA tournament today and these past few weeks. What do you think our chances are really of making it into the tournament either way this game goes? Yeah, I think the one thing that UNC has going for it right now is the name on the front of the jersey. I think, you know, when an NCAA tournament committee puts together those final four teams in, I think it does come down to viewership. And I think North Carolina's name and sort of history goes a long way in that when even though the resume might not be there this season for them. So I think if they win this game on Saturday and I guess win, sort of avoid a bad loss in the ACC tournament, they should be fine to sort of sneak in as a 10-11 seed. Maybe in that first four round we see in Dayton where they play a team to get in. But either way, I think it looks a lot better now than it did perhaps last week. Got it. Hunter, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That was the Daily Tar Heels sports editor, Hunter Nelson. Coverage of the UNC Duke game begins at 5 tonight here on 97.9 The Hill. Before the game starts, students will spend the day donning their best blue and remembering what makes those blue devils so devilish. Hannah Noel and Savannah Gunter asked Tar Heels just what it is they hate about Duke. My name is Noor Alberati and I'm a senior and I hate Duke because um, being a Tar Heel and being a Duke fan are mutually exclusive and um, part of Tar Heel identity is hating Duke. My name is Lucas Boyle, I'm a sophomore here and I hate how privileged Duke students act when they really deserve nothing. My name is Hasti Sadri, I'm a sophomore and I hate every Duke student's LinkedIn profile. My name is Sarah McClure. I'm a freshman here at UNC and I hate that they sleep in tents to get tickets to games. That's so embarrassing to me. My name is Max. I'm a freshman and I hate Duke because uh, they're all slime balls and uh, they're all greasy. Matthew Andrews. I'm a professor here in history. For the most part, I'm kind of tired of the I hate Duke. I feel like we need to grow up a little. That said, I hated Coach K with a passion. And that's it for this edition of Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Charisma Daniel. I'm Will Christensen. And I'm Sophie Mallinson. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.